The first seven weeks of the 2021 NFL season is in the books and we're getting ready for what is going to be a crazy week in football. Tom Brady threw his 600th career touchdown pass as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers trashed the Chicago Bears. Brady's old team, the New England Patriots, destroyed the New York Jets 54-13. The Jets lost rookie quarterback Zach Wilson to a knee injury that is expected to keep him out for up to a month. Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs continue to struggle. They lost at Tennessee as the star quarterback threw an interception for the sixth straight game. The Arizona Cardinals whipped the Houston Texans to remain undefeated. Meanwhile, the Green Bay Packers toppled the Washington football team. Arizona and Green Bay Packers play Thursday in a big game to open Week 8. So before we make any picks, let's hear what Matt Las Vegas Chris and Clay TA have in store for us today as they preview Week 8 of the NFL. Remember to tune in to our NFL Picks live show on Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern. So without further ado, let's welcome our NFL crew. NFL Week 8 around the corner, and here to take an early look at some edges on the betting board, I'm your host, Matt Landis, joined by Las Vegas Chris, and once again, a special guest, Cleve T.A., filling in today for Scott Cullen. T.A., welcome back to the show. You were with us in Week 4 to take an early look at that board. What's your biggest takeaway over the last month in the NFL? Well, good to be back, so I appreciate it. Uh, I think a lot has changed <laughs> since the last time I was on. I think at that time we had uh, both Carolina and Denver were 3-0. and uh, People were talking about maybe they were going to be the surprise teams this year, and they've taken big steps back. And um, the Colts were looking really bad, and I was kind of pounding my chest thinking, oh, yeah, I, I had the Colts uh, pegged right uh, with the under and to miss the playoffs. And now I actually kind of like the Colts. So it's uh, it's been a complete uh, flip uh, flip of the script. But it's been a great season so far. And um, you know, last week was a was a dud of games, I think, but uh, hopefully we get a better better slate this week. So I'm looking forward to it. Chris, building on TA's point, he mentioned kind of having a change of heart on the Colts, among other things. And you've been really vocal the past couple of weeks about the need to be willing to pivot as a better if you want to win at this stuff over the long haul. Since the last time you and I connected with TA back in week four, have you had any big changes of heart in your own mind? Well, you know, I took that position on uh, the Colts to win the division, uh, assuming Tennessee was going to lose to uh, uh, Buffalo and Kansas City. And, of course, they threw a monkey wrench into that. And uh, it's, you know, they put Indianapolis into a must-win situation this week. Uh, but uh, uh, instant pivots, it seems like I'm doing instant pivots all the time. Uh, I can't even uh, pick one out in particular uh, off the top of my head. I'm sure we'll get to a few over the course of the conversation, but it's an ever-evolving landscape, as, as you touched on there. So we'll get to plenty of good thoughts for the Week 8 card. And before we do so, a couple quick housekeeping items. First off, to our YouTube audience, thanks for joining us live. Go ahead and give us a quick thumbs up. You can also subscribe to this channel and jump in that chat. Let us know if you have any questions as we work our way down the Week 8 board. Also, let us know what you think on some of these games. And if you want to get and play yourself on any of these Week 8 games, you can always sign up at BetUS using the promo code NFL2021 for a 125% sign-up bonus. And for more information on that offer, you can check out the link below this video. Guys, let's get to it and move on to Week 8. And we'll kick things off, as we always do, by taking a look at our records so far this season. We've got a full-screen graphic coming up for the YouTube audience. And uh, it's looking pretty good across the board, um, even after a pretty strong Week 7. I'm once again 
bringing up the rear, three games over 500. Chris, you're four games over. And Scott, still the leader of the, of the pack, five games over 500. Of course, we do have TA joining us today, and he's got the only undefeated mark among us going 1-0 with that Jets bet in week four. And that just came out like gangbusters after they won outright over the Titans. It's kind of tough to fathom that result, given the trajectory of the two teams since that week four showdown. But as we look to build on those records moving forward, uh, we can do so with a quick look back at one game from our betting card last week, Chris. Uh, That one, you and I both in play on the Falcons at the Dolphins. And we got in play in different ways. On our Tuesday show, you gave out the Falcons minus two and a half, thinking the line would probably go to three. The Dolphins got some promising injury news. The line ended up actually moving down and, and kind of in a really tough way. It seemed like you kind of got middled and squeezed, if you will, on the two, the way that game landed. Yeah, that was that was brutal for me because uh, uh, I had already betted on the money line earlier on Monday and it, it shot up pretty fast and I, I just couldn't see that staying up there. And, and by the time we were here last Tuesday, it looked like it might just hit that three and I, and I wanted to have that game. And it wasn't that far afterward that I realized that it was going to be going back down. And uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen until they released the contest line. So I lost in the contest. I lost for the uh, loyal BetUS uh, viewers. Uh, and I won my bet. And it's just, uh, it just disappointing uh, that I can't uh, get across exactly everything uh, that I can do in such a short period of time uh, on certain days of the week. Yeah, when we're doing this in real time, you know, it's always a bit of a juggling act in that sense. So, you know, a game landing on two with those, you know, seemingly non-key numbers, that's just, you know, one of those things that won't happen too often over the course of the season, but it is always on the table. And fortunately, on my side of things, I went ahead and teased Miami up to plus eight and a half when it seemed like that line wasn't going to get to three. And that did end up coming through. And a key reason why, something we talked about, Chris, on the Friday show um, or I think it might have actually been last Tuesday when you talked about this pick, the teams in the red zone, Miami had been struggling. The Falcons had been doing really well. We saw a reversal on that last Sunday in Miami with the Dolphins going four for five, scoring touchdowns in the red zone. And the Falcons, two and five if you look at the box score, but I'll give them credit for going two for four because at the end of that game, that last drive, they were in the red zone, but all they needed was a field goal to go ahead and win it at the buzzer anyway. But still four for five for the Dolphins two for four for Atlanta. So Chris, one more follow up here so that we can properly look at these teams moving forward. When it comes to red zone efficiency, um, do you think that there was anything about the Falcons looking good prior to this past Sunday uh, that gives you a a good sense of their ability to score touchdowns in the red zone? Or conversely with Miami, even though they went four for five this past Sunday, do you still have any concerns about them just based on the way that offense is constructed? Or is this kind of the regression that you just expect to see over the course of a season? Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, uh, Atlanta, but Atlanta, you know, they've got some weapons. I mean, they're putting they're putting some stuff together. It, you know, you can tell they're not a great team, but, uh, you know, they're struggling. You're seeing them change. And uh, Ridley was back in this pits. Did you see the catches this guy makes? I mean, just unbelievable. And, uh, you know, it just seems like Matt Ryan gets in his own way still. Uh, you know, he should be the leader of the pack as a as, a, as an aged veteran. And uh, I think uh, I, I look for good things for Atlanta. I, I, I regretted my Atlanta over bet that I uh, made on season wins. I think I have a shot on that. Uh, they're three and three and they're in the playoff hunt. So and Miami, geez, what you know, you got to step in front of Buffalo this week. 
I don't know where the spirits are going to be on that team uh, with one win. They, they're really in a hopeless situation at this point. And it, it's, it's, it's disappointing because it's, their injuries have really affected them. Yeah, well, T.A., when we talk about uh, the team that won this game, the Falcons, you have a bet involving them this week. And we'll get to that breakdown in a few moments. But in, you know, as a takeaway from this game, you know, how, to, how did it affect the way that you evaluate the Falcons moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Chris in terms of they do have a lot of weapons and they're using Kyle Pitts finally. And they got Calvin Ridley back and, you know, Corderell Patterson kind of out of nowhere uh, becoming the superstar. So they do have a lot of weapons. I will say, and, you know, we'll talk about in the breakdown, you know, you got to see who they played, right? Like their opponents have been really weak so far, both on offense and defense. So Matt Ryan's looked good, but he's faced the second easiest schedule of opposing pass defenses. I mean, um, it's been it's been kind of a cakewalk here lately with Miami and the Jets and um, Washington, some really, really bad defenses. And the same thing on the other side of the ball. Uh, the defense hasn't played well for Atlanta, but look who they're facing. It's, you know, Zach Wilson and, and the Jets and, um, you know, Tua in Miami. And they made Tua look like a superstar. I mean, he had two mistakes, obviously, two bad mistakes. Uh, they were kind of self-inflicted. But besides that, he completed 80% of his passes. They allowed almost a 60% success rate. Um, uh, just really, really did not uh, stop that, that Miami offense at all. And uh, they put no pressure on that offense as well. And that's an offensive line that's dead last in, in allowing pressure. So, you know, yeah, there are some good things to like about them. And I was on that over, um, you know, because of that, because of that schedule. And I knew that, that you know, I had a good feeling that two will be able to put up points. And I thought that uh, Matt Ryan would be able to put up points. So um, did get that late. But um, and I think they're going to play a lot of a lot of shootouts, to be honest, um, here going forward. They're going to be entertaining games. And that's, that's what Atlanta always does. Uh, they, they get really close games. And um, every point matters, but uh, I think in general, um, you know, they kind of are what they are. They're kind of a middling team and, you know, they'll make games exciting. Yeah, well, little tease as to what's ahead. We will be breaking down the Panthers-Falcons game shortly here. But before we get to that one game, we can take a look at the entire Week 8 slate. Chris, one of the audience's favorite segments of this Tuesday show every week, your rapid-fire line move prediction. How do you see the lines that we're currently looking at on the full-screen graphic uh, ultimately taking shape over the next few days? Uh, well, just quickly touching last week, I, uh, I thought the Rams would go down, and it went up to 17, which was the wrong move. And uh, the Raiders, I said, wouldn't go below three, and that went to one the other way. And that was obviously the wrong move. So... Uh, uh, just checking everything else, I seem to say, uh, seem to be good. Uh, this week, I think uh, this Arizona line, uh, it's sliding up. I don't know how much higher it can go. They keep on dropping players, so it's very unpredictable. But it could hit seven if they lose any more players. They just lost uh, uh, Lizard. Uh, or Lizard. Uh, um, Alan Lazard, yeah. Yeah, Lazard. Uh, 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 this afternoon also, in addition to uh, um, Adams. Yep. And uh, I think Buffalo actually has nowhere to go but up, even though it's at 13, 13 and a half. I see the first 14 popping up, and, and I think it could even pass it. Atlanta, I think, peaks at the three. I can't see it getting any more support than that. Uh, Philadelphia might skate a little bit up, uh, and I think by game time maybe pops back down, but I'm pretty unsure on that one. Uh, Tennessee might skate a little bit up over their recent performances, but the Colts have a lot of support also, and it's a home game desperate situation. So I don't think we're going to see a three on Tennessee. 
I think it'll go up a little bit and bounce back down. Uh, the Rams uh, maybe down. That's a that's a tough call. Uh, Cincinnati might dip and go back up. I think it might be a little short, but uh, I I think that they want to play around with that ten and get a nice position. So uh, that that might uh, close higher than ten. Cleveland's going up unless you know half the teams announced out again. I think that that is one way up. Uh, San Francisco went down to three and probably is going to sit there at the three. I would think. Seattle uh, seems to be nudging upward slowly. I don't know how high it's going to go, but it's certainly not going to go down from here. The Chargers, uh, surprisingly, is is going down. It was at six. It's down to five, four and a half. I, I think it could still continue to go down and see four. Uh, Denver, that might go up. That's kind of a tough game. Tampa Bay. That should sit in no man's land. I'm not sure where, who's going to get behind that game because uh, that uh, Saints game last night left a bad taste in people's mouths. Uh, Dallas, I think, uh, is almost at its ceiling and is going to bounce down and get Minnesota support at some point. So if you like Minnesota and you see a three, uh, take advantage of it. I don't think it's going to rest on three. And who knows with Kansas City uh, sitting at the 10. It was uh, 13 a week ago and it's 10 uh, it, it actually may see below 10, but uh, we already saw below 10, and when it was tested, it, it bounced right back up. So it, it's going to hover there. Yeah, the Chiefs, one of the most perplexing teams through the first seven weeks of the season. We keep waiting for those turnovers to regress to the mean, and it just hasn't been happening. But TA, beyond you know any turnover regression, one of the biggest factors to line moves every week would be injuries. And as we look at the Week 8 card, what are some of the bigger injuries that you'll be keeping an eye on as kickoff approaches? Yeah, there's a handful of them. Um, I will say that, um, for one, uh, you know, we're talking about with, with Miami, Jalen Waddle. They, they've had a ton of injuries at, at wide receiver, so obviously he's he's a big one to get back. They've, they've been missing Devontae Parker. With the Falcons, and we'll get to that one too, um, you know, their entire secondary is essentially either out or banged up. Um, a couple of them might play, but they're definitely in some um, And I know with um, Carolina, they've got Stefan Gilmore, who is eligible to be activated, but um, who knows if he's ready. Um, he's been out, obviously, the entire season. I think with, with the Eagles here, Miles Sanders, uh, he hurt his ankle. They thought it was, um, it looked like it would be more severe than it ended up being um, during the game, but he, he's most definitely going to be out, I, I would assume, here. Um, but that's going to hurt them, obviously, uh, in the run game. The Texans, you know, Tyrod Taylor, uh, I had heard uh, could be practicing this week and, and might be back. That obviously would affect the line, I think, significantly uh, sitting at, what, 14 and a half, Chris. So uh, that's obviously a big one to keep an eye on. I think that line could dip to 11, 12 if he's announced in. Um, so it feels like that, that 14 and a half is kind of factoring in most of David Mill, uh, Davis Mills. But um, that's definitely one I'll keep an eye on. You know, with the Jets, they've been just ravaged uh, at linebacker. Um, and they've got, you know, C.J. Mosley, who missed the last game against the Patriots. And they've got two more guys, uh, Williams and Sherwood, um, could be out. I think Sherwood is definitely out. Um, and then with the Browns, you know, obviously Nick Chubb is, is, you know, is a big one. We saw Darius Johnson have a big game last week. But he's, um, you know, obviously the, the engine of that offense. And it looks like he could be back, Baker Mayfield. I saw today uh, a report that he could be practicing tomorrow, which is pretty surprising. I've, I've you know, heard locally some 
you know, pretty negative reports out of that shoulder um, that could be kind of a, a season ending uh, injury. So that's one. Uh, the line is also moving up. I saw it's a four points. So, you know, that could be factoring a potential that, that Baker could play. You know, I think with the Niners, um, you know, they've always they just feel like they're always on this list. Uh, Ford uh, got hurt last week, uh, had a concussion. So he's questionable. And then Trent Williams, who missed that game uh, against the Colts on Sunday night, um, you know, huge part. He's the number. He's the best tackle in the NFL right now, in the, probably the last two years. Um, he missed last week with an ankle injury, did not practice. So, you know, he, he's questionable. And they could definitely use him against Khalil Mack in, the, in that defense against the Bears. And a couple more um, to mention, you know, with the Patriots, uh, they've got Jason McCourty in the secondary and Shaq Mason, the offensive line, who are banged up. Giants, I saw uh, Jabril Preppers uh, got put on IRR today, so he, he's going to be out for a little while. And then uh, linebacker, they've got some issues uh, with Carter and, you know, with Lorenzo Carter. And then, you know, on offense, their wide receivers and Saquon Barkley are always a question mark. And they're going to need every every weapon, I think, against this Chiefs team. So, you know, a handful of injuries that I think there are going to be um, pretty important and uh, you know, we're going to keep an eye on all week. Yeah, well, at this stage, I think we're in a good spot to dive into that NFC South showdown between the Panthers and the Falcons. TA in the injury rundown, you touched on a couple of key pieces in both secondaries to monitor. And as we look at the lines on Tuesday at BetUS, the Falcons laying three at even money, total 46 and a half. TA, what's your angle to get in play on this one? Yeah, I'm on Carolina, and I know it's it's ugly, and you got to get it at three. I got it at uh, minus 115. I wouldn't pay much more than that, but... Um, I just think we're buying uh, pretty low, obviously, on Carolina after that hot start. And, you know, lately they've really struggled. And I see, you know, everyone's talking about Sam Darnold being benched. Um, you know, but this Atlanta team, as I mentioned, they're really good on offense, right? They played nobody, literally nobody. Um, Carolina's by far the best defense they have faced. They haven't faced a single defense that ranks in the top half of the NFL um, when it comes to, um, you know, pass defense. So you've got a Carolina uh, defense that's still playing pretty well. They held the Giants to 4.4 4 yards per play. It's not like they got beat up. Um, it was really the offense that got beat up. Um, so they finally face a real test. I mean, that Matt Ryan offense is 27th on early downs, but they're number two in the NFL on third downs. And that bit, whenever you get a big gap like that um, between early down offense and third down offense, you typically see that regress. And a lot of that is because they faced Washington, Miami, um, the, the Jets, I mean, Miami and Washington are the two worst third down defenses in the NFL. So they, they had that, you know, that advantage and that benefit of playing those teams. And now they get a Carolina team that is top half of the NFL in third down defense. So I think the defense will keep them uh, in the game. And I think offensively, you know, the Falcons defense hasn't faced anybody either. Um, we just saw Tua tear them apart. And, you know, that's not uh, an offense you typically, you know, see put up a, a bunch of points. And as bad as Carolina's offense has been, you know, I think they're going to be able to at least move the ball. And the secondary for Atlanta is a mess. I mentioned there's three guys that could be out. A.J. Terrell, the number one pick last year, is a top 10 um, PFF-graded coverage corner. Uh, he's top five in yards per attempt allowed and completion percentage allowed. So he's been really good. So he's most likely out. Um, they've got a couple other corners who are really banged up. So um, I, I just think that kind of combination of all of that leads me to, to take Carolina here at three. And as Chris mentioned, I don't think that's ever going to go above three. So you're getting the best number right here. When you TA lost six. four games in a row, and I think I bet two or three of them. And <laughs> somebody in my Slack group uh, last night said, tell me we're going to be able to bet Carolina. And I just ripped them. I go, I hate you. You know, this is something to that effect. Uh, just bite your tongue. It's 
and I and I did get my uh, my numbers in this morning. And God, it just makes me sick to my stomach. I'm supposed to take Carolina again. And, and I look at these last four games and it they're just ugly, it, just ugly. And when you're benching Darnold, I mean, how much air is out of that balloon with Carolina? You you know, you, you gave up the draft picks. You gave up a lot to get Darnold in there. And you've got a huge guarantee next year. And this guy looks like a real flop. I mean, they passed on some good options. Uh, what is the spirit of that team when you're sitting them? And, you know, you look at Atlanta, they seem to be getting their act together. Like you said, you know, there's a real problem with the schedules and stuff. But, you know, they're coming together. And when teams come together, they can rise up to the occasion a little bit. And Carolina is is basically regressed. They're my number one team over the last five weeks. They've lost 6.86 points of value. They're number one uh, declining team in the NFL. So try harder. Come on, convince me. What's how do they pick this Carolina with confidence, even though I know I'm supposed to? I mean, look, if the if the the, the schedules were flipped and Carolina had just played, you know, the Jets and you know all those teams that they they beat early, and it, it might be a different story. I mean, I think this is all playing into the near-term bias, right? And we as gamblers and we as betters, we have to kind of re- we get to throw that away. Like I've lost on the Eagles a bunch and. I just don't want to have anything to do with them right now, but you know, they could be the right side. You've got to kind of throw that away. I, like I said, I mean, who has Atlanta face? Okay. Think about it this way. You know, Miami has the worst offensive line in football. I think we can all agree. Like they just, they can't block, block anybody. Atlanta without Dante Fowler. It's another injury. I didn't mention he missed last week's game. He's out this week as well. He's their number one pressure rate defender. They're already bottom five in pressure rate. So now you lose your top defender and he's the number one run defender. They couldn't put any pressure on Tua. He was sitting back there doing whatever he wanted. He's the one he he made was a self-inflicted mistake. Um, so I, I think not saying Darnold's going to throw for 300 yards, but I think he's going to have a lot of success. He's got a ton of time. Um, he's got really good receivers. Like that's not debatable. Look, they put up 28 points against Minnesota two weeks ago. It's not like it's impossible for this team to to keep up. And Atlanta hasn't faced anybody on defense. Like literally nobody. They face the single worst set of third down defenses in the NFL. I'm not saying, and look, remember, this is the Falcons team that always screws things up. They're not a, a model of consistency, right? How could you possibly be confident in this team um, to, to continue to win? They, they easily could have lost with the probably the best rest advantage you could possibly have. Last week, they were off a bye, and you had a Miami team coming off of a, a London game, and they still almost lost. I, I can't sit here and say, oh, yeah, it's just a, it's a foregone conclusion that Miami should or that the Atlanta should be uh, covering this three point spread. I, I just I just can't see it. Three yeah, points against for you the there. Giants. Three, three points three. against the Giants. Give me a break. <laughs> and, you know, I chalked that up to the Meadowlands. That was a Meadowlands uh, nightmare for Darnold. He just had bad memories from when he played with the Jets. I'm just talking for- about as, as a and throwing it away. Let's talk about that Panthers defense for a second, though, because, Tia, you've talked now a few times about the lack of opposition the Falcons have had in the defenses they faced. And again, after week three, when we were doing this Tuesday show in week four, the Panthers defense looked like it might be an elite unit, although we talked about their own strength of schedule. Um, how differently do you feel about this Panthers defensive unit now than you would have after their 3-0 and start? Right. So they're not I mean, they're not the top two or three defense that they were in the first couple of games. I think some of that is schedule, but obviously some of that is injury too, losing J.C. Horn and some other guys. But they're st- they still have talent. They're still solid. Like I said, they only allowed the Giants 38% success rate, 4.4 yards per per play. 
like that, those are those are numbers that you should win by uh, double digits, not lose. So they're fine. Like they're not great. They're not bad. They're middle of the road. I, I think they're a solid defense. They still have talent, and you know they, these teams know each other well. They're in division. So, um, like I mentioned, they're a much better third down defense than what the Falcons have have faced. Falcons are 27th on early downs against this crap schedule. So, like, I don't think it's just an easy thing to, to sit here and say that they're going to continue to put up a bunch of points against, you know, at least a, a, a solid, you know, if not, you know, above average defense in, in Carolina. Somehow I still have Carolina is, a, is one of the top 10 defenses. How the hell are they in there? <laughs> <laughs> any of your 55 metrics jumping off the page when you see Carolina creeping into the top 10 defensively? Yeah, my wallet losing. <laughs> well, to be fair, I haven't touched Carolina in, I don't think I've bet them like at all this year. So I don't have the same you know negative uh, thought process as Chris in terms of like just a scarred memory. So, but I get it. Like you, you, you lose with, the, with these teams a bunch of times in a row and it definitely scars you. I, I don't have that memory to really go off of. Well, you have your Eagles. I have my Carolina. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Chris, one more thought. I'll toss it back to you to wrap up this game. Uh, T.A. touched on not being, you know, too affected by recency bias. And at the same time, I know on last week's show, you brought up what I thought was a really savvy point. Some of these teams with early season buys, especially with first year head coaches like the Falcons, you know, could kind of pivot and and the arc of their season could take on a much different trajectory. Uh, So based on what you saw from the Falcons and Miami and keeping that angle in mind, uh, is there anything that, uh, you know, maybe has you putting more stock uh, on the positive side with the Falcons, understanding that they did just have that opportunity to kind of regroup and transform the way they do things, especially looking at the way they're using a guy like Pitts now? Was that for me? Yeah. So... (laughs) Talk about, I, talk I, about the Falcons and, and that yeah, no, second no, no. I, 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 I like the Falcons. I, I, I think they, you know, that's why I was on them last week. I said, you know, you've got the new coach coming out of the bye. You get the reset button. Uh, I, 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 and that's why Carolina is probably a great play this week because it's don't believe your lying eyes. Don't believe these circus catches and, and all, and, and, and these uh, uh, big player names, so to speak. Uh, it, it comes down to the nuts and bolts of what these teams are doing, and TA has referenced it. Uh, there's a lot of things that uh, Atlanta does not do well, uh, but uh, I, I like I like Atlanta. I, I expected them to come out of the the by doing well, and I would think that they'd be able to build on the last game. But uh, Carolina's in do or die right now. Let's remember too. One last thing: they almost lost to Miami. Probably should have, right? They need a last second field goal. In London, they were up by three against the Jets and, and late in the fourth quarter. Like these aren't, I mean, they're not blowing teams away. They're, they're, they, they lost to Washington at home. Like they're, we just have to, we have to put these things in perspective is all. No, you're right. Yeah. Some good two-sided good, debate on, on this Panthers-Falcons <laughs> show. And yeah, perhaps a little convincing done on TA's part. Uh, and let's uh, test you again, TA. See how you can convince Chris when it comes to the Jags traveling to Seattle to take on the Seahawks because... Right now, as we see a graphic on the screen, Chris and I still officially passing on that NFC South showdown. TA on the Panthers plus the three. Next up, we're going to talk about, you know, a game with a little bit less luster when we look at the football matchup, but perhaps still plenty of betting value. Jags traveling to Seattle where the Seahawks, a juicy minus three favorite, total 43 and a half. And TA, you're on play on another side in this one. 
Yeah, I'm on Seattle minus three. Again, I, I laid uh, 120. I think I laid 120. Um, and look, this isn't normally, I'm more of a contrarian, more of a dog player, but I, I just think that as, I don't think Seattle is as bad as the market is making them out to be. I mean, essentially, if you factor in, you know, we know that home field advantages aren't as, you know, big anymore, but I mean, Seattle still has some level of advantage at the top of that list. It's a, it's a very long flight for, for Jacksonville. So there is some level of home field there. You're essentially saying these teams are virtually even. I, I just, I can't imagine that. Look, Geno Smith isn't great, right? But what what position has been put in? He had to face a, a really good Rams team uh, coming in cold a couple of weeks ago. Had to go to Pittsburgh with, against that defense on a Sunday night. In, you know, virtually impossible for someone like like that to really uh, perform well. And they played a top five defense in the Saints who got back a bunch of guys off a bye uh, on Monday night in bad weather. Like you're not going to succeed most likely with a backup quarterback like that. And they still almost won both games like they were in both. So, you know, I think that gives me a little bit of hope. Now you face a Jags defense that is worse than the NFL. If you look at football outsiders, DVOA metrics, um, they're one of the worst secondaries in the NFL. They allow a ton of explosive plays. I mean, even if it's just, hey, let's throw the ball up to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, like you've got plenty of opportunity to score. Jacksonville has allowed at least 20 points to every single opponent since the beginning of last year, every single one. And there's some bad offenses uh, involved there. So it's not impossible for Geno Smith to put up 20 plus against this defense. You've got a, an offense in um, Trevor Lawrence, you know, with the Jags. He's played two road games his entire career so far at Houston, at Cincinnati. Like Seattle is a totally different animal. I mean, they hadn't didn't have to deal with noise. You know, we know that that team makes a ton of mistakes as it is. They turn the ball over a lot. Um, you know, again, home field isn't exactly what it used to be in general, but it's still something when it comes to a rookie quarterback on a bad team, you know, going to Seattle like that. That to me, you know, happens to account for something. Um, and, you know, I think you mentioned it, Chris. I've noticed rookie head coaches off of a bye have not performed well lately. I think nine and 15 against the spread in the last handful of years. Um, for whatever reason, like these rookie head coaches, when they, when they get off a bye, um, the market prices in the buy factor. And I don't think it's worth it um, for these, co for these coaches, for whatever reason, maybe they, they take a breather because it's their first season and they're not used to it. Um, and they don't prepare as much, whatever it might be, but um, that's just something to keep an eye on. But I just think that when you've got a matchup of, you know, the worst defense in the NFL and you're only getting three points and they just won their first game in how long uh, last week um, or two weeks ago in, in London, like. That they can build off of. <laughs> I mean, and look who they beat. They beat Miami. Like, I, I just think that Seattle's better than that. Like, the Seattle almost won in the Pittsburgh and won. They they could have beaten the Saints team again. It's I think it's context here. Look, Geno Smith is number two in the NFL with a clean pocket, if you can believe that, among all quarterbacks. And he's faced just a ton of pressure against these defenses. He's not going to face any pressure at all against his bottom 10 Jags uh, you know, pressure defense. So he's going to have time. And when you've got weapons like that, like, you don't need to be – um, you know, an elite quarterback to find DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So I think they'll do just enough. And again, I wouldn't take it over three. I wouldn't touch three and a half. I think three is the right number for this for this play for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm just hoping that this hits three and a half or four because uh, I'm leaning Jackson, but I haven't made a decision on the game yet. But uh, I, I Seattle, and I think I saw the, uh, the the publication you referenced. They've got an article that's you know Seattle is is, is better than you think. You know, we're, we're defending that Seattle's a great team and they're atrocious. I mean, they, <laughs> that game last night was an embarrassment. I mean, the, 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 the long touchdown 
That that was on a questionable play, and if that doesn't happen, that changes the complexion of the game. Uh, the the penalty on their own end zone, uh, you know, they got some lucky breaks. They, they look like crap. And uh, when you want to talk about bad teams, uh, Seattle is not that much better defensively. I don't have Seattle Seattle out of the bottom ten uh, defensively. They're in the bottom my bottom ten defensively, and I've got Jacksonville rated nine slots higher offensively. And Seattle doesn't even win at home anymore. That 12th man, he moved. He's gone. He he travels with the road team because they win more games on the road lately. So uh, just my first look on this, I like a lot of what you said, and I agree. Uh, Boy, it's it's a tough pill to swallow, and I anticipate this line to go up. It's certainly not going to go down. So, But I, I see that there's value. I think these teams are a lot more even than you realize and getting points when in doubt, take points. Well, I'll say this. So I've, cause I've taken the Jags twice this year and they cover both. It's the, the, the Miami game in London and the game in Cincinnati. So I feel like I've got a decent read on them. And I think the, for me, the handicap has been outside of the turnovers. They've actually been not bad, right? Like offensively, they've actually been pretty solid. But when you look at this specific matchup, you know, the Jags run the ball pretty well. Seattle's actually really good against the run. I mean, they're really good on a, on a play-by-play basis um, in terms of efficiency against the run. They just struggled against the pass. I, are you going to trust Trevor Lawrence and this offense to really slice and dice the secondary? Maybe I just think from a matchup there and then also with the home field, I agree in general home field. But I think this specific scenario where you have a rookie quarterback, a rookie head coach flying as far as you can fly, um, have barely played any road games. This is by far the toughest environment they're ever going to play. Um, I mean, they went into Houston and lost by, what, 20, 20 points? Like, I just, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think that if you eliminate the turnovers, sure, Jags can compete with a, with a lot of teams. But are you going to eliminate the turnovers and this kind of, you know, the, they can't even snap the ball. They could get, you know, um, tip pat. You know, there's a lot of a lot of things can happen in this environment is, is kind of all I'm saying. So I, I just think that I, I understand I'm with you that Jags are better than we think. But. You know, Miami on a neutral was, you know, essentially minus three, minus three and a half for most of that week in London before they had those injuries that really dropped the line. So now you're saying Seattle at home is minus three? Is Miami better? Miami a point and a half, two points better? Yeah, I don't. Than Seattle? But we don't know how they're going to respond because their season's (laughs) basically done. So how, you know, how how are these players going to respond? They're off a short week on Monday Night Football. They look like crap. And, uh you know, we don't know how they're going to respond. And, you, and you've got the team that finally got the monkey off their back and got a win coming. Uh, and after they had watched how they played last night, you know, why wouldn't they have the confidence? Hey, we can beat, we can play with these guys. They're not that good. You, well, we don't know. One, that's one more thing I wanted to follow up on. TA taking the Seahawks in this one. Chris touched on they're on the short week. A lot of people who handicap this situationally would call out. Okay, Seattle on the short week, the Jags off of their bye. Of course, you could have looked at the schedule months ago and known that was going to be part of this equation. Do you think that factor is fully built into this line? Do I? I, I think that the bye week has been overvalued in the NFL for a number for a while. Um, I mean, I think we see time and time again. Look, I was on the Colts last week, for example, right, plus four, and a lot of it was, oh, Shanahan and San Francisco's off a of buy. Well, he's been bad off a of buy. Like, that, I think it's just completely inflated some of these lines um, the wrong way. Even if it's a half a point or a point, I think it just it hasn't been as impactful. Um, I think certain situations it can be impactful, but I don't think it, it is here. Um, yeah, I, I don't. 
I'm not sure. I mean, winning as a young team going into a bye, like who knows if those young players for Jacksonville were partying it up for the last week too. Like, are they, I mean, I don't think it's always a positive to win like that, get a big monkey off your back going into a bye. I think you kind of, you kind of, and again, we're guessing here, right? Like this, anything could happen. Um, With a role model like Meyer, there's no way they're out partying and being irresponsible. Yeah, well, let's go from, uh, you know, one team off of buying this matchup to two teams off of their buy in the next game. But first, we'll take a quick look again at a, a graphic for this Jack Seahawks matchup. A pass once again for myself and Chris on the official plays. TA laying the three with the Seahawks at home against the Jags. And uh, as I just touched on, two teams coming off a of buy in this next game. We'll get to a big Sunday night showdown, perhaps the marquee game on the week eight card. The Cowboys at the Vikings. The Cowboys laying three at minus 105 big on the road, total at 55. And TA, I know this number has moved over the last couple of days, but what was your initial bet and how do you view this game at the current numbers? Well, so I I, I just went really light on the two and a half uh, with Dallas. And I again, I normally don't do this. This would be when I was before I even started looking at this game, I, I first I was like, oh, I'm going to definitely want to take Minnesota here. Like this is definitely a spot that I love to take a team like the Vikings. But the more I dug into this matchup, I mean, Dallas has a lot of favorable matchups here. Both teams coming off a bye, so that's not really an issue. But you've got the number one rush offense in the NFL in Dallas. They've got the number one um, offensive line. When you look at football outsiders adjusted line yards, um, essentially how how much um, does your offensive line create holes, create yardage for your run game? They're number one, and we've seen it. They've, they've just plowed people, right? Um, and then Minnesota's dead last on defense. They've been getting pushed around uh, at the line of scrimmage, which is a little, a little surprising to me. But that, that to me, kind of stuck out because when you've got an advantage like that, um, and you know Dallas is going to be able to run the ball essentially whenever they want, um, you know that's a big deal on the road. And then we know how good Dak is. Um, and now Minnesota's missing Patrick Peterson. Patrick Peterson hasn't been great. But um, he's been their best coverage corner. They've got nobody else in that secondary. I mean, I, I looked it up today. They don't have a single cornerback that is ranked in the top 60 in PFF's coverage grade um, uh, uh, ranking among, among quarterbacks. So you're looking at multiple kind of second level, second tier cornerbacks having to defend this wide receiver core that's also getting Michael Gallup back this week. Um, so like when I at first I was like, oh, it's perfect spot for Minnesota. You know, Dallas is undefeated against the spread. But man. This matchup is really dangerous from that perspective. I'm not sure how Minnesota can stop Dallas. And look, I know it's a weird trend, and I kind of roll my eyes at this type of stuff, but Kirk Cousins at night is a real issue. Like, his numbers are just totally um, off base what his regular season, you know, his, his normal numbers are historically. I mean, since 2017, I think he's 6-10 against the spread. Like, he's just he's really struggled. And, again, maybe it's make-believe, but there is something to these quarterbacks who have, um, you know, a routine. And when that routine is messed up, sometimes they, they struggle. So just all those little things to me kind of add up to, I just, I, I think Dallas could be the right side here. I, I just, I trust that offense more. And I just think that, you know, when push comes to, push comes to shove, they're going to be able to do whatever they want against this defense. Yeah, I also tend to roll my eyes a bit at a lot of narratives thrown <laughs> out there, but I have definitely heard that Cousins won over the years. I do wonder if the fact that Minnesota's off its bye gave him, you know, a better chance to prepare versus going, you know, off of an unusual amount of rest that could work against him. It seems like 
coming off the bye is almost never uh, a bad spot to be in for a quarterback prepping for this matchup. But Chris, I'd like to get your take on this game because you and I, we talked about it last week at this time, Minnesota kind of being a stealth team on the rise for us. But TA mentioned a lot of matchup edges the Cowboys have in this one. So how do you see this game playing out? Yeah, I, I bet this game uh, uh, immediately uh, at pick. Um, I don't think it was any better than that. And it was actually funny because uh, I, I bet it with a, a sports book and, and they actually called me and they said, well, why do you bet that? <laughs> and I'm like, because it's a headline. I, this is a true story. And, and, and I said, because the line's silly. It, it, it belongs much higher. Like no, no way, no way. You know Minnesota's got to be the favorite. There's no way Minnesota's a favorite here. But I agree with what TA says. This this team is complete. Both of these teams have been doing better over the last five weeks and have gained strength against other teams against the points. Minnesota's gained a little bit more. They've gained four points of value because they started off so uh, poorly. But uh, Dallas has been slow and steady and still gaining. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, I think. Dallas has the full package. You want to talk about a pivot question? You know, we didn't have a lot of respect for Dallas coming into this season because we thought their defense would look like last year's defense. But their defense is holding up. Uh, you know, it was one of the, it was in the very bottom in the 30s. It's up to number 17 for me, which is, you know, that makes a huge That's difference. That's all they need. If you're going to be in the top five offensively. So, uh and Minnesota's defense actually is better than they were last year. Minnesota and Dallas were neighbors. See, they lived in the same neighborhood down at the bottom in defense. So, But as T.A. said, where's their weakness here? They, they, can, they can move this ball at will any which way they want. They've got two great backs. They've got the receivers, tight end, everywhere. So and Minnesota just it shouldn't be able to stop them the whole game. And it's going to be tough. So I don't like it. I was surprised that the metrics have contracted a little bit and that these teams are kind of closer than I realized. And uh, I, I don't want to recommend today, you know, to lay three points or two, you know, two and a half points. I think the line's going to drop back down, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah, well, Chris, you asked a question, where's the weakness with the Cowboys? And I think that could come down to Mike McCarthy pulling the strings on the sidelines. Because if they don't end up winning that game in New England, I think there's a lot of questioning about the way he handled the end game, kicking long field goals on fourth and short. And he ended up getting bailed out. But um, some pretty shaky process has been rewarded with pretty positive results over the first seven weeks. And the Cowboys are good enough to overcome a lot of obstacles, even if those are self-inflicted obstacles. But when we're talking about coaching, I know it's come up earlier in the show that the bye week can be misread by the market. I, I do think coaching has a good bit to do with what the bye week can mean for each team. And in this case, um, I know there are mixed feelings on Zimmer across the marketplace, but I think the consensus would be Zimmer, a clear better coach than McCarthy. Do either of you guys give any weight to that as a coaching edge for the Vikings with the bye being a factor for both teams heading into Sunday night football? I, I mean, I think Zimmer is a better motivator and strategist, I guess, from a from defense perspective. But I don't think he's really any better from a play calling. And they still run the ball way too much on early downs, which, you know, is, is a pet peeve of mine. Um, 
But, I mean, I, I'm not sure he's any better from, like, when to go for it. I haven't even looked at his fourth down uh, numbers, but I don't think they're that great. But yeah, McCarthy's terrible from that perspective. There's no doubt about it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think – I've looked at uh, Zimmer off a bye. I think he's kind of like 500 against the spread. So, really nothing that jumps out there. Uh, like I said, a better overall coach, but not sure his in-game stuff is really that much that, – that dramatically better, to be honest. I can't sit there. I mean, I, I really just had a hard time docking a half a point or a point. How much are you supposed to dock for these coaches that, you know, have buffoonery decisions every now and then? It, it's tough because most of the time they don't or most of the time they do and they survive. So how are you supposed to ding them? I mean, it's it's like trying to ding referees, uh, you know, when you get the lineups for who's refing the games. Yeah, well, we can use that as a thought to move on to our next game in a moment. T.A., did you want to come back in with one more point on this one? No, I was just going to say, you know, there's uh, Bill Belichick has made a bunch of mistakes, too, with some of the game yeah. stuff. So they all do. I mean, it's 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 I think it's more for me preparation and having a game plan that's more important. And I think all these coaches are kind of, you know, make a bunch of mistakes uh, that we think as a public is a mistake. But, um, yeah, just uh, McCarthy's gets highlighted a lot more. They seem to happen a lot with the field goal and the fourth down stuff. But, um, but yeah, uh, the, all these coaches are making mistakes. Yeah, fair point. Well, I think as we get ready to turn the page to our next game, if we've got a graphic here, we do not. Okay, it's a pass for all of us at the current number for that Cowboys-Vikings game with Chris and T.A. having gotten down on the Cowboys earlier in the week. So let's hop from one primetime game to another. The Packers traveling to Arizona where the Cardinals a juicy six-point favorite. Total 51, and T.A., I know you've got a play in this one, uh, this matchup. Maybe has lost some of its luster with the Packers now out, Devontae Adams, as well as their defensive coordinator, Joe Barry. So what's your game plan to attack that angle here? Yeah, I took the over uh, team total for Arizona at 28 and a half, um, and I was going to take this anyway. Um, I just um, was able to get it today, but this really is a play against the Packers' defense. Um, their defense is not good. I, I it may look like they're they're kind of middle of the road, but you know they're 27th in success rate defending the run, 22nd against the pass, and, and they face a really easy schedule of opposing offenses as well. I mean, their opposing pass offenses that they face is the easiest in the NFL. I talk about Atlanta being 31st, Green Bay's is, is easiest. I mean, Joe Burrow is the best quarterback that they faced. Um, they just gave up. Um, you know, uh, almost uh, over 400 yards and 6.1 yards per play to Washington, um, who's banged up everywhere. Uh, he's got Tyler Haneke as their, as their quarterback. I mean, they face Jimmy Garoppolo and, and Jared Goff and Jameis Winston and Justin Fields and Big Ben. Like, that's the, that's who they face. So now you've got a major step up here um, with Kyler Murray uh, and this offense for, for Arizona. And I think Arizona is going to be able to do essentially whatever they want um, to be honest, against this this defense. And, you know, with Jair Alexander uh, being out for, for Green Bay the last couple of weeks, he's one of the better, obviously one of the better um, cornerbacks in the NFL. I just, I'm not sure how they're going to be able to put enough pressure um, and slow down this offense that they just haven't faced anybody even close to as good as Arizona. Um, and Arizona's a top 10 in terms of pace. Like they're going to be able to, to run a bunch of plays. And I don't think that Green Bay is going to be able to sustain a bunch of drives. Green Bay plays really slow normally. That's because they convert a lot of third downs. And Devontae Adams being out is obviously huge. I mean, he's he's been targeted 35% of the times 
35% of, of Aaron Rodgers' targets on third and fourth down. So um, that's the, the highest rate of the NFL. Like, what do you go to now? Uh, Lazard's out. Um, MVS could be out. Um, they're, they're down to essentially nobody at receiver. So I think they're going to run the ball a lot. I think they're going to be, uh, you know, when it comes to third down, I think Rodgers will be able to convert as often. It's going to get the ball back to Arizona in better field position. And I think they're going to be able to put a point. So, um, you know, they're averaging over 31 on offense, Arizona. Uh, Green Bay has essentially allowed their opponents um, to score above what they normally um, score. So if you just kind of do that simple calculation, they should be able to score over 31. I think this is, you know, an early, uh, a low 30s number for for Arizona here. So th- that's the play I made. I think the spread's kind of gotten too big. Uh, so I didn't want to take the spread. I think the, the Cardinals will be able to score, though. I think I saw that there's only been 29 uh, either completions or attempts of over 20 yards, and Adams was responsible for 22 of the 29. So, you know, pull him out. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's a big, uh, big, big. Uh, Good. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think there's so many there's so many reasons to take um, uh, Air, you know Arizona here. I mean, look, one last thing. So you know, talk about who they've played. I mean, they're, they've got like I think they're 18th in the NFL, 17th or 18th if I remember. Uh, Green Bay in terms of defending the deep ball. Look at the quarterbacks they face. Out of 35 qualified quarterbacks, okay, here are the the PFF grades on these quarterbacks: 24, 34, 33, 21, 16, 29, 35. Okay, this is out of 35 quarterbacks. Kyler Murray is number two in the NFL. Like they haven't even come close to facing the speed, the weapons, um, and and the quarterback that can at least launch the ball like Kyler. So uh, I think they're in for a rude awakening. Yeah, Tia. Quick question on the number here, Chris. Feel free to jump in as well as I know you're on the Cardinals team total. Also, um, the Packers. Tia, you touched on their defense. I mean, Washington. You know, it didn't manifest itself on the scoreboard because they went 0 for 4 in the red zone and 1 for 4 on fourth down. Uh, but the Packers' defense has been pretty beatable. I, I see this Arizona team total as kind of reflecting that because 28 and a half. If we're playing the over 28 and a half, um, I don't know. We might as well be playing it what up to over 30 and a half. We're essentially asking for 31 with 29 and 30 being fairly dead numbers. I know anything's possible here, but is this a bet that you would feel good about up to 38 and a half? Should we see it continue to rise? Uh, I think 30, I think 30 is, is I haven't done key numbers on totals, but I think that's what the cutoff. I would go 29 and a half. It'd be kind of my range um, and stop there. You know, once you get to 30, I think, I think it's, that's kind of the cutoff uh, for me. So um, yeah, I think up to 29 and a half is probably a good number. Got it. Chris, same ceiling for you on this number. Yeah, pretty much. I, I, I like that wager also. Uh, it makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, when you look at, you know, if you're going to be going against Arizona, it's catching the fallen knife because th- this team is playing solid as a rock, and, and their only letdowns have been against actually the bad teams. Uh, they've been showing up against the good teams, if I, if I remember correctly. And Green Bay's schedule really hasn't been that good. I mean, their they're marquee, they don't even have a marquee win. Uh, who's their marquee win? They don't even have a marquee win, and they've won uh, one, two, three, four, five, six games. The Niners, right? The Niners is their best win, I think. Yeah, but yeah, that was a messed up game, though, wasn't it? Was Kittle in that game? Kittle I think was in that was game. That. The officiating was especially questionable, and Green Bay overcame it. But but yeah. yeah, they haven't exactly you know blown the doors off of many good teams during this six game win streak. But you, Matt, you know, you, you look at Arizona, they've gone through Tennessee, Minnesota, the Rams. They did the San Francisco uh, thing. They uh, did Cleveland. You know, they're battle tested. And uh, 
Uh, I have both of these teams actually improving. Green Bay, obviously, a lot more since uh, that New Orleans debacle to start their season. Uh, I I like that 28-and-a-half over team total. I bet Arizona minus four, and uh, I, I'll still recommend it at minus six if you can get the six. I, I, I just think that they score at will, and I don't think – uh, the Green Bay is going to be able to keep up with them. It's, as T.A. said, it's too, too time-consuming, and uh, uh, they don't have the big play capability, I don't think. A couple of things real quick. Uh, Matt, you mentioned um, you know that Washington last week they put up a bunch of yards that just didn't convert to points. I mean, I looked it up. The Packers' defense is third in the NFL um, in, in opposing drives that have resulted kind of failures. So that's that's a punt, mm. missed field goal, turnover, or a fourth down miss um, inside their own inside the 40-yard line. So once teams get to the 40-yard line where you, you figure they should score something, um, they're third in the NFL. And a lot of that's luck-based. I mean, uh, you know, some of it, you know, they perform well, but opposing kickers uh, have only made 57% of their kicks against Green Bay. That's number one in the NFL in terms of the, the the biggest failure rate. Like those are some of the hidden factors here. Um, Matt Prater's a really good kicker for Arizona. You're indoors. Like those are some of the hidden things that, you know, maybe aren't factored totally in some of these um, numbers. So I think you could take advantage. I mean, Arizona's only scored less than 31 points once this entire season. Uh, I just think this is heading to uh, a 30 plus uh, output for, for the Cardinals on Thursday. As you mentioned that, I think of the notion that I heard from somebody I really respected years ago, talking about basketball, but, you know, touching on the notion of there being no such thing as free throw defense. So if you had a team, you know, that was just getting lucky with opponents missing free throws. Yes, in the NFL, you do get the opportunity to try to block field goals. And there is some skill involved, but it can be an awfully noisy stat. So I hear you there, T.A., and Chris, one more point I want to circle back on with you. Uh, it looks like based on our notes here, your metrics have the Packers as a below average offense. Uh, yeah, they're only number 17 on, on my list. I mean, they they haven't done a whole lot. Uh, there's been a lot of holes. Uh, I don't know specifically what to point out why they why they come in that low. It just I, I noticed it right before the show, and it kind of surprised me that they were that low. So just a point of mention. Yeah, well, we've got both of you guys on the Cardinals team total over 28 and a half. Chris also laying the six with Arizona. And Chris, would you make that minus six the ceiling? Or if we see six and a half, would you still advise that under a touchdown? Yeah, I mean, I think you really have to uh, you have to go with them at this point. Uh, I mean, the six is an important number, but you know, if I hadn't laid the four, I'd be laying the six or the six and a half. Cool. All right. Well, that puts a bow on the Thursday night recap. We do have a couple questions from the chat that we can get to as we hit the home stretch here. First off, I will uh, make sure I'm referencing the right note here to give a proper recap of all the bets for today's show. Chris, on the Cardinals minus six and their team total over 28 and a half on Thursday night. Uh, it's a pass for me at this stage. I'm still physically and perhaps mentally recovering from a half marathon on Sunday morning. So I'll get the gears turning and, and be ready come Friday to give out some picks. Uh, but TA, plenty of action early on in the week. Carolina plus three uh, against the Falcons. Seattle minus three against the Jags. And that Cardinals team total aligned with Chris over 28 and a half. And guys, we can dive into a couple questions from the chat as we wrap this up. Uh, the first up, Chris, circling back on that Cowboys-Vikings game, up to what number would you play Dallas? Knowing it's a pass at the three, 
Um, I think you mentioned even two and a half, maybe not being a go. So would you need to see a Cowboys minus two before you'd recommend getting back in play with the Cowboys? If I had not bet the game, I would be sitting on my hands right now and I would take my chances that it comes down. Um, honestly, I, I definitely wouldn't be laying the three and I begrudgingly would lay the two and a half. Uh, if I had to, but I'll take my chances that it doesn't stay on the three and I'll always get something below. And I may be wrong, but I, I, that's just the way I would play it from this point. Yeah, T.A., is there a number up to which you would play the Cowboys and otherwise it's a stay away for you? I know three is, is still a key number, even with the extra point and more teams going for two. You know, changing that dynamic three is still kind of the king of the key numbers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I did a little bit of two and a half, and that's, that's for me personally, that's all I would really want to do at that point. Um, again, I don't want to lay a ton of juice at two and a half, but um, I think that's the cutoff for me. If not, then take the money line at that point. Like, if it, the juice gets enough, I, I mean, maybe the money line is worth a shot um, instead of laying that uh, couple points could be could be valuable here. So um, Yeah, yeah. money line of 135 or less would be something yeah. I'd be looking for. Yeah, I agree. Cool. All right. Well, that's good food for thought for other ways to possibly getting into play on Sunday Night Football as we watch how the market unfolds over the next few days. And one more question from the chat for our live Q&A here. What do you guys think about the Niners quarterback situation? Is it time to hand it over to Lance? Um, so I know that Garoppolo did not look impressive on Sunday. He was also kind of playing in a monsoon. And I'm not sure that Lance is really healthy enough to step back in yet. But do either of you guys have a read on uh, what you think the Niners should do when it comes to who they're lining up under center these days? I think, you know, personally, I just think it's a tough call because I think there, there there's two players in this league that just their whole team dynamic changes when they're out, and that's McCaffrey and Kittle. And when Kittle's not in that lineup, it's it, I, they just all fall apart. It's it, He's like the glue to that team, it seems, in my opinion. Uh, I, I just don't know. I, I, you know, I'm closer to the West Coast, but my brain doesn't focus on San Francisco as much as a lot of people. So I, I don't really know. Uh, and I haven't watched enough of the San Francisco games. You know, it seems like Garoppolo's got a pretty darn good record overall uh, with Shanahan. And uh, he and Shanahan feels comfortable. He's not going to make dumb mistakes. And, and he gets, you know, this and that done. Uh, he had tough conditions in the rain against Indianapolis. Kind of forgivable because Indianapolis is a better team than people realize. Yeah, I would just continue with Garoppolo. Uh, I was a proponent of playing Lance early, but he's been bad. I mean, it's only been 87 snaps, but his completion percentage over expected dead last out of 40 quarterbacks um, that qualify. It's not even close to like the gap between him and Zach Wilson. If you can believe this is like the same as Zach Wilson, who's 39th and like the 32nd quarterback. Like it's not even close. He's not accurate. He's just not ready. I would just mix him in at the goal line and, you know, kind of taste some hill packages uh, for the rest of the season. And just like Garoppolo, try to get you to the playoffs. Yeah, yeah what he well, said. <laughs> what T.A. said. Yeah, well, T.A., thanks uh, for filling in again quite admirably for Scott Kellen today. Great to have you back on the show. That's it, everybody, for our early look at the Week 8 board. If you're joining us on YouTube, go ahead and give this video a quick thumbs up. You can also subscribe to the channel while you're at it. And don't forget, if you want to follow any of the plays that Chris and T.A. outlined on this show, you can do so by signing up today at BetUS and use that promo code NFL2021 for a 125% sign-up bonus. 
We'll be back with you, Chris, myself, and Scott. We'll be back with you on Friday to break down the full weekend board. Again, that'll be at our new time, 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. So we'll see you then right back here at BetUS, where the game begins.